Book 16, Chapter 7 and 8 of the Antiquities of the Jews, Volume 4. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Anne Boulay. The Antiquities of the Jews, Volume 4, by Flavius Josephus. Translated by William Whiston. Book 16, Chapter 7 and 8. Chapter 7. How, upon Herod's going down into David's sepulchre, the sedition in his family greatly increased. As for Herod, he had spent vast sums about the cities, both without and within his own kingdom. And as he had before heard that Hyrcanus, who had been king before him, had opened David's sepulchre, and taken out of it three thousand talents of silver, and that there was a much greater number left behind, and indeed enough to suffice all his wants. He had a great while an intention to make the attempt, and at this time he opened that sepulchre by night, and went into it, and endeavored that it should not be at all known in the city, but took only his most faithful friends with him. As for any money, he found none, as Hyrcanus had done, but that furniture of gold, and those precious goods that were laid up there, all which he took away. However, he had a great desire to make a more diligent search, and to go farther in, even as far as the very bodies of David and Solomon, where two of his guards were slain, by a flame that burst out upon those that went in, as the report was. So he was terribly affrighted, and went out, and built a propitiatory monument of that fright he had been in, and this of white stone, at the mouth of the sepulchre, and at a great expense also. And even Nicholas, his historiographer, makes mention of this monument built by Herod, though he does not mention his going down into the sepulchre, as knowing that action to be of ill repute. And many other things he treats of in the same manner in his book, for he wrote in Herod's lifetime, and under his reign, and so as to please him, and as a servant to him, touching upon nothing but what tended to his glory, and openly excusing many of his notorious crimes, and very diligently concealing them. And as he was desirous to put handsome colors on the death of Mariamne and her sons, which were barbarous actions in the king, he tells falsehoods about the incontinence of Mariamne, and the treacherous designs of his sons upon him. And thus he proceeded in his whole work, making a pompous encomium upon what just actions he had done, but earnestly apologizing for his unjust ones. Indeed, a man, as I said, may have a great deal to say by way of the excuse for Nicholas, for he did not so properly write this as a history for others, as somewhat that might be subservient to the king himself. As for ourselves, who come of a family nearly allied to the Asimonian kings, and on that account have an honorable place, which is the priesthood, we think it indecent to say anything that is false about them, and accordingly we have described their actions after an unblemished and upright manner. And although we reverence many of Herod's posterity, who still reign, yet do we pay a greater regard to truth than to them, and this though it sometimes happens, that we incur their displeasure by so doing. And indeed Herod's troubles in his family, 
seemed to be augmented by reason of this attempt he made upon David's sepulchre, whether divine vengeance increased the calamities he lay under, in order to render them incurable, or whether fortune made an assault upon him, in those cases wherein the seasonableness of the cause made it strongly believed that the calamities came upon him for his impiety. For the tumult was like a civil war in his palace, and their hatred towards one another was like that where each one strove to exceed another in calumnies. However, Antipater used stratagems perpetually against his brethren, and that very cunningly. While abroad he loaded them with accusations, but still took upon him frequently to apologize for them, that this apparent benevolence to them might make him be believed, and forward his attempts against them, by which means he, after various manners, circumvented his father, who believed all that he did was for his preservation. Herod also recommended Ptolemy, who was a great director of the affairs of his kingdom, to Antipater, and consulted with his mother about the public affairs also. And indeed these were all in all, and did what they pleased, and made the king angry against any other persons, as they thought it might be to their own advantage. But still the sons of Mariamne were in a worse and worse condition perpetually, and while they were thrust out, and set in a more dishonorable rank, who yet by birth were the most noble, they could not bear the dishonor. And for the women, Glaphira, Alexander's wife, the daughter of Archelaus, hated Salome, both because of her love to her husband, and because Glaphira seemed to behave herself somewhat insolently towards Salome's daughter, who was the wife of Aristobulus, which equality of hers to herself, Glaphira took very impatiently. Now, besides this second contention that had fallen among them, neither did the king's brother, Fiorus keep himself out of trouble, but had a particular foundation for suspicion and hatred, for he was overcome with the charms of his wife, to such a degree of madness, that he despised the king's daughter, to whom he had been betrothed and wholly bent his mind to the other, who had been but a servant. Herod also was grieved by the dishonor that was done him, because he had bestowed many favors upon him, and had advanced him to that height of power that he was almost a partner with him in the kingdom, and saw that he had not made him a due return for his labors, and esteemed himself unhappy on that account. So upon Fiorus's unworthy refusal, he gave the damsel to Phasaelus's son, but after some time, when he thought the heat of his brother's affections was over, he blamed him for his former conduct, and desired him to take his second daughter, whose name was Cypros. Ptolemy also advised him to leave off affronting his brother, and to forsake her whom he had loved, for that it was a base thing to be so enamored of a servant, as to deprive himself of the king's good will to him, and become an occasion of his trouble, and make himself hated by him. Fiorus knew that this advice would be for his own advantage, particularly because he had been accused before, and forgiven. So he put his wife away, although he already had a son by her, and engaged to the king that he would take his second daughter, and agreed that the thirtieth day after should be the day of the marriage, and swear he would have no further conversation with her whom he had put away. But when the thirty days were over, he was such a slave to his affections, that he no longer performed anything he had promised, and continued still with his former wife. 
This occasioned Herod to grieve openly, and made him angry, while the king dropped one word or other against Fioris perpetually. And many made the king's anger an opportunity for raising calumnies against him. Nor had the king any longer a single quiet day or hour, but occasions of one fresh quarrel or another arose among his relations, and those that were dearest to him. For Salome was of a harsh temper, and ill-natured to Mariamne's sons. Nor would she suffer her own daughter, who was the wife of Aristobulus, one of those young men, to bear a good will to her husband, but persuaded her to tell her if he said anything to her in private, and when any misunderstandings happened, as is common, she raised a great many suspicions out of it, by which means she learned all their concerns, and made the damsel ill-natured to the young man. And in order to gratify her mother, she often said that the young men used to mention Mariamne when they were by themselves, and that they hated their father, and were continually threatening, that if they had once got the kingdom, they would make Herod's sons by his other wives country schoolmasters, for that the present education which was given them, and their diligence in learning, fitted them for such an employment. And as for the women, whenever they saw them adorned with their mother's clothes, they threatened that instead of their present gaudy apparel, they should be clothed in sackcloth, and confined so closely that they should not see the light of the sun. These stories were presently carried by Salome to the king, who was troubled to hear them, and endeavored to make up matters. But these suspicions afflicted him, and becoming more and more uneasy, he believed everybody against everybody. However, upon his rebuking his sons, and hearing their defense they made for themselves, he was easier for a while, though a little afterwards, much worse accidents came upon him. For Pheroras came to Alexander, the husband of Glaphyra, who was the daughter of Archelaus, as we have already told you, and said that he had heard from Salome that Herod was enamored on Glaphyra, and that his passion for her was incurable. When Alexander heard that, he was all on fire, from his youth and jealousy, and he interpreted the instances of Herod's obliging behavior to her, which was very frequent, for the worse, which came from those suspicions he had on account of that word which fell from Pheroras. Nor could he conceal his grief at the thing, but inform him what word Pheroras had said. Upon which Herod was in a greater disorder than ever, and not bearing such a false calumny, which was to his shame, was much disturbed at it, and often did he lament the wickedness of his domestics, and how good he had been to them, and how ill requitals they had made him. So he sent for Pheroras, and reproached him, and said, Thou vilest of all men! Art thou come to that unmeasurable and extravagant degree of ingratitude, as not only to suppose such things of me, but to speak of them? I now indeed perceive what thy intentions are. It is not thy only aim to reproach me, when thou usest such words to my son, but thereby to persuade him to plot against me, and get me destroyed by poison. And who is there, if he had not a good genius at his elbow, as hath my son, but would not bear such a suspicion of his father, but would revenge himself upon him? Dost thou suppose that thou hast only dropped a word for him to think of, and not rather hast put a sword into his hand to slay his father? What dost thou mean, when thou really hatest both him and his brother, to pretend kindness to them, 
only in order to raise a reproach against me, and talk of such things as no one but such an impious wretch as thou art, could either devise in their mind, or declare in their words? Be gone! Thou art such a plague to thy benefactor and thy brother, and may that evil conscience of thine go along with thee. While I still overcome my relations by kindness, and so far from avenging myself of them, as they deserve, that I bestow greater benefits upon them than they are worthy of. Thus did the king speak, whereupon Pheroras, who was caught in the very act of his villainy, said that, It was Salome who was the framer of this plot, and that the words came from her. But as soon as she heard that, for she was at hand, she cried out, like one that would be believed, that no such thing ever came out of her mouth, that they all earnestly endeavored to make the king hate her, and to make her away, because of the good will she bore to Herod, and because she was always foreseeing the dangers that were coming upon him, and that at present there were more plots against him than usual. For while she was the only person who persuaded her brother to put away the wife he had now, and to take the king's daughter, it was no wonder if she were hated by him. As she said this, and often tore her hair, and often beat her breast, her countenance made her denial to be believed. But the perverseness of her manners declared at the same time her dissimulation in these proceedings. But Ferroras was caught between them, and had nothing plausible to offer in his own defense, while he confessed that he had said what was charged upon him, but was not believed when he said he had heard it from Salome. So the confusion among them was increased, and their quarrelsome words one to another. At last the king, out of his hatred to his brother and sister, sent them both away, and when he had commended the moderation of his son, and that he had himself told him of the report, he went in the evening to refresh himself. After such a contest as this had fallen out among them, Salome's reputation suffered greatly, since she was supposed to have first raised the calumny, and the king's wives were grieved at her, as knowing she was a very ill-natured woman, and would sometimes be a friend, and sometimes an enemy, at different seasons. So they perpetually said one thing or another against her, and somewhat that now fell out made them the bolder in speaking against her. There was one Abodas, king of Arabia, an inactive and slothful man in his nature, but Sylleus managed most of his affairs for him. He was a shrewd man, although he was but young, and was handsome withal. This Sylleus, upon some occasion coming to Herod, and supping with him, saw Salome, and set his heart upon her, and understanding that she was a widow, he discoursed with her. Now because Salome was at this time less in favor with her brother, she looked upon Sylleus with some passion, and was very earnest to be married to him. And on the days following there appeared many, and those very great, indications of their agreement together. Now the women carried this news to the king, and laughed at the indecency of it. Whereupon Herod inquired about it further of Pheroras, and desired him to observe them at supper, how their behavior was one toward another, who told him, that by the signals which came from their heads and their eyes, they both were evidently in love. After this, Sylleus the Arabian being suspected, went away, but came again in two or three months afterwards, as it were on that very design, and spake to Herod about it, and desired that Salome might be given him to wife, 
for that his affinity might not be disadvantageous to his affairs by a union with arabia the government of which country was already in effect under his power and more evidently would be his hereafter accordingly when herod discoursed with his sister about it and asked her whether she were disposed to this match she immediately agreed to it but when sylleus was desired to come over to the jewish religion and then he should marry her and that it was impossible to do it on any other terms he could not bear that proposal and went his way for he said that if he should do so he should be stoned by the arabs then did pheroras reproach salome for her incontinency as did the women much more and said that sylleus had debauched her as for that damsel which the king had betrothed to his brother pheroras but he had not taken her as i have before related because he was enamoured on his former wife salome desired of herod she might be given to her son by costabarus which match he was very willing to but was dissuaded from it by pheroras who pleaded that this young man would not be kind to her since his father had been slain by him and that it was more just that his son who was to be his successor in the tetrarchy should have her so he begged his pardon and persuaded him to do so accordingly the damsel upon this change of her espousals was disposed of to this young man the son of furoras the king giving for her portion a hundred talents chapter eight how herod took up alexander and bound him whom yet archelaus king of cappadocia reconciled to his father herod again but still the affairs of herod's family were no better but perpetually more troublesome now this accident happened which arose from no decent occasion but proceeded so far as to bring great difficulties upon him there were certain eunuchs which the king had and on account of their beauty was very fond of them and the care of bringing him drink was entrusted to one of them of bringing him his supper to another of putting him to bed to the third who also managed the principal affairs of the government and there was one told the king that these eunuchs were corrupted by alexander the king's son with great sums of money and when they were asked whether alexander had had criminal conversation with them they confessed it but said they knew of no further mischief of his against his father but when they were more severely tortured and were in the utmost extremity and the tormentors out of compliance with antipater stretched the rack to the very utmost they said that alexander bare great ill-will and innate hatred to his father and that he told them that herod despaired to live much longer and that in order to cover his great age he colored his hair black and endeavored to conceal what would discover how old he was but that if he would apply himself to him when he should attain the kingdom which in spite of his father could come to no one else he should quickly have the first place in that kingdom under him for that he was now ready to take the kingdom not only as his birthright but by the preparations he had made for obtaining it because a great many of the rulers and a great many of his friends were on his side and those no ill men neither ready both to do and to suffer whatsoever should come on that account when herod heard this confession he was all over anger and fear some parts seeming to him reproachful and some made him suspicious of dangers that attended him insomuch that on both accounts he was provoked 
and bitterly afraid lest some more heavy plot was laid against him than he should be then able to escape from whereupon he did not now make an open search but sent about spies to watch such as he suspected for he was now overrun with suspicion and hatred against all about him and indulging abundance of those suspicions in order to his preservation he continued to suspect those that were guiltless nor did he set any bounds to himself but supposing that those who stayed with him had the most power to hurt him they were to him very frightful and for those that did not use to come to him it seemed enough to name them to make them suspected and he thought himself safer when they were destroyed and at last his domestics were come to that pass that being no way secure of escaping themselves they fell to accusing one another and imagining that he who first accused another was most likely to save himself yet when any had overthrown others they were hated and they were thought to suffer justly who unjustly accused others and they only thereby prevented their own accusation nay they now executed their own private enmities by this means and when they were caught they were punished in the same way thus these men contrived to make use of this opportunity as an instrument and snare against their enemies yet when they tried it were themselves caught also in the same snare which they laid for others and the king soon repented of what he had done because he had no clear evidence of the guilt of those whom he had slain and yet was still more severe in him he did not make use of his repentance in order to leave off doing the like again but in order to inflict the same punishment upon their accusers and in this state of disorder were the affairs of the palace and he had already told many of his friends directly that they ought not to appear before him nor come into the palace and the reason of this injunction was that when they were there he had less freedom of acting or a greater restraint on himself on their account for at this time it was that he expelled andromachus and gamellus men who had of old been his friends and been very useful to him in the affairs of his kingdom and been of advantage to his family by their ambassages and counsels and had been tutors to his sons and had in a manner the first degree of freedom with him he expelled andromachus because his son demetrius was companion to alexander and gamellus because he knew that he wished him well which arose from his having been with him in his youth when he was at school and absent at rome these he expelled out of his palace and was willing enough to have done worse by them but that he might not seem to take such liberty against men of so great reputation he contented himself with depriving them of their dignity and of their power to hinder his wicked proceedings now it was antipater who was the cause of all this who when he knew what a mad and licentious way of acting his father was in and had been a great while one of his counsellors he hurried him on and then thought he should bring him to do somewhat to purpose when every one that could oppose him was taken away when therefore andromachus and his friends were driven away and had no discourse nor freedom with the king any longer the king in the first place examined by torture all whom he thought to be faithful to alexander whether they knew of any of his attempts against him but these died without having anything to say to that matter which made the king more zealous after discoveries when he could not find out what evil proceedings he suspected of them as for antipater he was very sagacious to raise a calumny against those that were really innocent 
as if their denial was only their constancy and fidelity to alexander and thereupon provoked herod to discover by the torture of great numbers what attempts were still concealed now there was a certain person among them that were tortured who said that he knew that the young man had often said that when he was commended as a tall man in his body and a skilful marksman and that in his other commendable exercises he exceeded all men these qualifications given him by nature though good in themselves were not advantageous to him because his father was grieved at them and envied him for them and that when he walked along with his father he endeavored to depress and shorten himself that he might not appear too tall and that when he shot at anything as he was hunting when his father was by he missed his mark on purpose for he knew how ambitious his father was of being superior in such exercises so when the man was tortured about saying this and had ease given his body after it he added that he had his brother aristobulus for his assistance and contrived to lie in wait for their father as they were hunting and kill him and when they had done so to fly to rome and desire to have the kingdom given them there were also letters of the young man found written to his brother wherein he complained that his father did not act justly in giving antipater a country whose yearly revenues amounted to two hundred talents upon these confessions herod presently thought he had somewhat to depend on in his own opinion as to his suspicion about his sons so he took up alexander and bound him yet did he still continue to be uneasy and was not quite satisfied of the truth of what he had heard and when he came to recollect himself he found that he had only made juvenile complaints and contentions and that it was an incredible thing that when his son should have slain him he should openly go to rome to beg the kingdom so he was desirous to have some surer mark of his son's wickedness and was very solicitous about it that he might not appear to have condemned him to be put in prison too rashly so he tortured the principal of alexander's friends and put not a few of them to death without getting any of the things out of them which he suspected and while herod was very busy about this matter and the palace was full of terror and trouble one of the younger sort when he was in the utmost agony confessed that alexander had sent to his friends at rome and desired that he might be quickly invited thither by caesar and that he could discover a plot against him that mithridates the king of parthia was joined in friendship with his father against the romans and that he had a poisonous potion ready prepared at ascalori to these accusations herod gave credit and enjoyed hereby in his miserable case some sort of consolation in excuse of his rashness as flattering himself with finding things in so bad a condition but as for the poisonous potion which he labored to find he could find none as for alexander he was very desirous to aggravate the vast misfortunes he was under so he pretended not to deny the accusations but punished the rashness of his father with a greater crime of his own and perhaps he was willing to make his father ashamed of his easy belief of such calumnies he aimed especially if he could gain belief to his story to plague him and his whole kingdom for he wrote four letters and sent them to him that he did not need to torture any more persons for he had plotted against him and that he had for his partners pheroras and the most faithful of his friends and that salome came in to him by night and that she laid with him whether he would or not 
and that all men were come to be of one mind, to make away with him as soon as they could, and so get clear of the continual fear they were in from him. Among these were accused Ptolemy and Sapinius, who were the most faithful friends to the king. And what more can be said, but that those who before were the most intimate friends, were become wild beasts to one another, as if a certain madness had fallen upon them, while there was no room for defense or refutation, in order to discover of the truth, but all were at random doomed to destruction, so that some lamented those that were in prison, some those that were put to death, and others lamented that they were in expectation of the same miseries, and a melancholy solitude rendered the kingdom deformed, and quite the reverse to that happy state it was formerly in. Herod's own life also was entirely disturbed, because he could trust nobody. He was sorely punished by the expectation of further misery, for he often fancied in his imagination that his son had fallen upon him, or stood by him with a sword in his hand, and thus was his mind night and day intent upon this thing, and revolved it over and over, no otherwise than if he were under a distraction, and this was the sad condition Herod was now in. But when Archelaus, king of Cappadocia, heard of the state that Herod was in, and being in great distress about his daughter, and the young man, her husband, and grieving with Herod, as with a man that was his friend, on account of so great a disturbance he was under, he came to Jerusalem, on purpose to compose their differences, and when he found Herod in such a temper, he thought it wholly unseasonable to reprove him, or to pretend that he had done anything rashly, for that he should thereby naturally bring him to dispute the point with him, and by still more and more apologizing for himself to be the more irritated. He went, therefore, another way to work, in order to correct the former misfortunes, and appear angry at the young man, and said that Herod had been so very mild a man, that he had not acted a rash part at all. He also said he would dissolve his daughter's marriage with Alexander, nor could in justice spare his own daughter, if she were conscious of anything, and did not inform Herod of it. When Archelaus appeared to be of this temper, and otherwise than Herod expected or imagined, and, for the main part, took Herod's part, and was angry on his account, the king abated of his harshness, and took occasion from his appearing to have acted justly hitherto, to come by degrees to put on the affection of a father, and was on both sides to be pitied. For when some persons refuted the calumnies that were laid on the young man, he was thrown into a passion. But when Archelaus joined in the accusation, he dissolved into tears and sorrow after an affectionate manner. Accordingly, he desired that he would not dissolve his son's marriage, and became not so angry as before for his offenses. So when Archelaus had brought him to a more moderate temper, he transferred the calumnies upon his friends, and said it must be owing to them that so young a man, and one unacquainted with malice, was corrupted, and he supposed that there was more reason to suspect the brother than the soft. Upon which Herod was very much displeased at Pheroras, who indeed had no one that could make a reconciliation between him and his brother. So when he saw that Archelaus had the greatest power with Herod, he betook himself to him in the habit of a mourner, and like one that had all the signs upon him of an undone man. Upon this Archelaus did not overlook the intercession he made to him, nor yet did he undertake to change the king's disposition towards him immediately, 
and he said that it was better for him to come himself to the king, and confess himself the occasion of all, that this would make the king's anger not to be extravagant towards him, and that then he would be present to assist him. When he had persuaded him to this, he gained his point with both of them, and the calumnies raised against the young man were, beyond all expectation, wiped off. And Archelaus, as soon as he had made the reconciliation, went then away to Cappadocia, having proved at this juncture of time the most acceptable person to Herod in the world, on which account he gave him the richest presents, as tokens of his respects to him, and being on other occasions magnanimous, he esteemed him one of his dearest friends. He also made an agreement with him that he would go to Rome, because he had written to Caesar about these affairs. So they went together as far as Antioch, and there Herod made a reconciliation between Archelaus and Titus, the president of Syria, who had been greatly at variance, and so returned back to Judea. End of Book 16, Chapters 7 and 8